All right, Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. And most likely, folks, to be really honest with you, we won't finish this section because there is so much here. I thought last week when we were finishing up where we were, we were going to get further today than we would. But as I sat down and really started to dive in some more in my study, I realized we won't be dealing with verses uh, 16 and following till at least next week or the second half of next week. All right. In Colossians chapter 2, let me read verses 8 through 15. Paul goes on and says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to the human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities, and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Now, where we're going to pick up tonight is where we left off last week, where Paul had just said that because Christ is fully God, and since God is the head of all rule and authority, and Christ lives in us by his Spirit, we have been given everything we need for our complete salvation. Therefore, we should be wary of anyone who says that we need any other quote-unquote experience. Now, in the verses we're going to look at tonight, especially verses 11 and following, we're going to see specifically what Paul describes as what Jesus did. We're going to take a look at in his being everything that we need, in his death, in his resurrection that accomplished everything for us that we need, Paul goes into great detail to show us what it is that Jesus accomplished. And folks, let me just tell you, if you're willing to let the Lord show you what's here tonight, my prayer is that you'll start to get really, really excited as the truth of what has happened really starts to sink in. Remember last week, we looked at the fact that God's desire is that we would not think we need more, but understand that we have all we need, yet we're in the process of coming to understand more and more, a fuller knowledge, growing the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a process of God bringing us to a deeper understanding of all that has been given us in Christ, okay? Now, so I'm just going to take and break down these verses for us here, and we're going to start to take a look at some of the things that Paul said. The first thing I want to show you here, and look at verse um, 11. Paul says, In him, in Christ, you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. All right. Paul says we were circumcised by Jesus Christ and he has cut away our flesh. Now, in order for us to really understand this, we're going to have to do a little minor study of circumcision. That's what I'm going to do for you right now. We're going to do a study through the Bible of circumcision, what its purpose was and all that kind of stuff and what God was trying to accomplish and why then Paul used this illustration to talk about what Christ has done for us. All right. Now, circumcision was given to Abraham as a sign of a covenant between the Jewish people and God. Go with me to Genesis chapter 17 and look at verses 9 through 14. Genesis 17 verses 9 through 14.
In Genesis 17, verse 9, And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep, between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generation, whether born in your house or bought with mon your money from an, any foreigner who is not one of your offspring, but both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Now, we've got to just deal with something here, especially in our day and age. We think, boy, that's an interesting way for God to give them a sign of the covenant. And nowadays, where we live, we actually would say, well, okay, what good of a sign is that? Who's going to see it? Right? You, you don't go flashing your covenant, right? But those of you, stick with me, those of you who are a little bit older, you right, might remember how back in the day, when you might have gone to the YMCA and they had mixed bathing, I mean, not, didn't have mixed bathing. You remember what I'm talking about? The women would swim in the pool with the women and the men would swim in the pool with the men, right? Hey guys, th those of you that are old enough, how did the guys swim? They swam naked, didn't they? Even in our time, in our generation, my wife's father talks about that. By the way, when I became a youth pastor and I'd be interviewed by churches years ago, they'd say, how do you feel about mixed bathing? I didn't know what they were talking about. I thought they meant boys and girls taking a shower together. And I said, I'm, I don't like it. <laughs> and they'd say, good. Well, little did I know, they were saying boys and girls can't share at the pool party at the same time. Because back in the day, guys didn't wear clothes when they swam. Back in the day, if you do a study of scripture, you're going to see some things where the, the, uh, Abraham will tell his servant, I want you to swear to me on an oath. Put your hand under my thigh. By the way, he wasn't touching his thigh. There are some things that went on back in this day. Let me tell you, because of the way things were at that time, the other men would know whether you were a Jewish person or whether you weren't. All right. So let's just leave it at that for now. You do know, though, full well, we're, we're all old enough here to understand what a circumcision is, right? Well, they take the foreskin of the penis and they cut off the flesh that's extra. What do they do with it? They throw it away. Now, folks, there's a picture here. There is a picture here that God is trying to show. Of course, Abraham and them didn't fully understand it at the time. But he, it's a, what did, how did Paul put it again? The cutting away or the putting away of the flesh. You're going to see in a little bit as we go into this. That the Bible says that when Jesus saved us by our faith in him, we received a circumcision, not done by hands, but we were circumcised by Jesus where he cut our flesh away and removed it. Now we say, Jim, I still struggle with sin. Hang on. Stick with me. The foreskin was cut off and thrown away, a removal of the flesh. This was to be an outward sign of an inward condition of obedience and devotion to God. But even though the Jews may have practiced the ritual of circumcision, 
The true meaning of it didn't follow in their hearts and their actions. Listen to some passages here. Go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 10. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 through 16. God says, And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart and love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them. You above all peoples are as you are to this day. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. Here God says, look, this whole circumcision thing was to be an outward sign, a putting away of the flesh. But just having a circumcision, if it doesn't affect your heart, isn't accomplishing the purpose of the covenant. You guys need to let this affect your heart. We all have, apart from Christ giving us a new heart, we all have a hard heart. We all have a stubbornness. Uh, in and of ourselves, there is nothing good in us. There's only one good. You do know that, right? And I'm only good because he's in me. Go with me to Jeremiah chapter 4. Look at verse 4. Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 4. Again, circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your hearts, O men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of, the, of your evil deeds. Again, God says, you got this circumcision thing you've been practicing, thinking that's all you need, you're doing this, but it's your heart I'm trying to get at. Get, get the, the, the dead part of your heart removed. By the way, why does God tell them to do something they can't do? So they would hopefully try and then come to the point where they say, I can't. See, that's why a lot of us, we've been taught to go preach the good news to these people in the world. The good news that Jesus died for your sins, yet most people in the world today don't think they're sinners. Right? That's why the Bible says if someone doesn't think they need a Savior, they don't realize their need of a Savior or need of sin or their sin problem, we're to just show them the truth of the law. James chapter 2, verse 10 says, if you're able to keep the whole law, you stumble at just one point. You're guilty as if you broke it all. I've had many times that I've shared with people and they say, well, I don't think I'm that bad. I don't make it my job to convince them how bad they are. Whose job is that? That's the Holy Spirit's job, according to John 16. When the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to convict the world of their sin. So all I do is I say to them, let me share a couple of things with you real quick. In James chapter 2, verse 10, it says, if you're able to keep all of God's law, you stumble at just one point. You're guilty as if you broke it all. How are you doing there? See, because you think you're not that bad, but have you ever broken God's law? Yeah, well, here the Bible says that you're guilty as if you broke it all. Oh, let me give you another one, too. You want another little passage for your toolbox? It's probably one you've never seen. Most of the people in the world today think that when they die, they're going to stand before the big guy upstairs, as they like to put it. They think they're going to stand before God the Father. Write this down and look at it. John chapter 5, verse 22. Jesus says, the Father judges no one, but has handed all judgment over to the Son. You, you're going to stand before Jesus Christ one day, and he's the one who's going to determine whether or not you get into heaven. Oh, by the way, and he's not going to measure on how you, good you've been or what you've done. Because there are going to be people that say to him, didn't we prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons? And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. 
How do you come to know Jesus? You realize that you've got a sin problem and that you're guilty before God. And that even if it's just one sin in your mind, one little thing, you don't think you're that bad. The Bible says in the eyes of God, sin is sin. Hey, folks, you want further proof of it? What did Adam and Eve do that got them kicked out of the garden? They ate, well, the Bible doesn't really say it was an apple, but they ate a piece of fruit that they weren't supposed to eat, right? Let's be honest. Most people today would say, what's the big deal? People are doing that in the produce department all the time. A few grapes. What do I do with this banana peel? We don't think that's any big deal. They ate a piece of fruit they weren't supposed to eat. God says, I have to remove you from my presence. Folks, whose job is it to convict the world of their sin? It's the Spirit's job. Our job is just to share with them the truth. That's why God keeps saying to the nation of Israel, circumcise your hearts. If they were willing to try, they'd come to realize they couldn't. Go to Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 25 and 26. Behold, Jeremiah 9, 25. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish all those who are circumcised merely in the flesh. Egypt, Judah, Edom, and the sons of Ammon, Moab, and all who dwell in the desert who cut the corners of their hair, for all these nations are uncircumcised, and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised in heart. Here he starts to, all along, these religious leaders in Jerusalem that told Jesus they were okay because they were children of Abraham, the Bible had all along been saying to them, if you're proud of your circumcision and the fact that you're a Jew and that you're a child of Abraham, uh, God says, I can even make children out of these rocks if I want to. Keep going, go to Acts chapter 7. Look at what Stephen says to the nation of Israel right before they killed him. Acts chapter 7, verses 51 through 53. He says, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Don't let anybody tell you that you can't resist the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that it's possible. You stiff-necked individuals, you people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. All right. You who received the laws delivered by angels and did not keep it. Go to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, verses 25 through 29. Paul says, for circumcision, chapter 2 of Romans, verse 25, circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Did you see? Again, all along, the Scripture, if you're willing to let the Scripture teach on Scripture, the Scripture's been saying all along, God says, I gave you circumcision as a picture. You still didn't understand. You think that just doing this little surgery is going to make you okay with me. No, I was just using that as a picture of a greater truth. I'm wanting your heart. I'm wanting your heart. Oh. By the way, it's those who have been circumcised, as we see here, by the Spirit, who are the true circumcision. 
In Romans chapter 4, listen to verses 1 through 12. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one who whom God counts righteousness apart from works. David says in Psalm 32 verses 1 and 2, Blessed are those whose laws, all his deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Now, is this blessing only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? Talking about physically here. For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It wasn't after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision, listen, as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but also who walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Paul says when Abraham was given righteousness, Genesis 15 verse 6, and God counted it, credited to him as righteousness, had he been circumcised yet? No, no that didn't happen until chapter 17 we saw. And here Paul says, look, God was already showing you righteousness doesn't come because you had the outward act. Oh, by the way, what is the outward act for us? What is the sign of our covenant now as believers? Baptism. baptism. In the same way, you could say, well, I've been baptized. Has there been a real change in your heart? Because you can stand before God and show him your certificate. And he'll say, I never knew you. All right. Let me show you one more cool passage. Go to Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is of no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in what? Flesh. Flesh. Now, all right, we've done, this is just a minor study, by the way. There's a whole lot more than this, but that's, that's the minor study in circumcision. What was God's purpose of circumcision? It was to be an outward sign to the other nations, because back then they saw this sign a lot more than we do today. But the circumcision was a picture of something that only God can do. And that's to cut the flesh away and to separate it from us. Go back with me now and tell me if Colossians chapter 2 verse 11 doesn't make a whole lot more sense. For in him, Colossians chapter 2 verse 11, in him also you who believed and have been saved were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. All right. In other words, for those of us in the church who've been saved, you have already, listen, let it sink in. I'm going to try to have the scripture show you this a little bit more. It might be easier for you. 
You have already been circumcised by God. Your flesh has been done away with. You, as you're about to see from the passages, are a new creation. Well, let me just take you there. Go to, go to uh, 2 Corinthians 5, verses 16 and 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. Listen to what it says. It says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now, I'm going to say a few things on these verses here that hopefully will be helpful for you. First of all, does anybody understand what he's saying here when he said we don't regard anyone now according to the flesh? We used to regard even Christ that way, but now we don't do that any longer. If anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. The old's gone, the new has come. Does anybody know what Paul's saying here? They're looking at the heart. They're looking at the heart. Very good. In other words, back in the day, they thought Jesus was just a man, right? They used to regard Jesus as just a man. Many people, when he walked on the earth, thought he was just a man. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother named Mary? Aren't his brothers and sisters here with us? Who is this guy? I mean, he's teaching as one who has authority. I mean, what? He's just a man. Even the wind and waves obey him. But then they say, who is this? Even the wind and waves. Over time, they began to realize He's not just a man. Even his brothers, if you look at John chapter 7, they made fun of him. The scripture says his own brothers, half-brothers actually, because they came from Mary and Joseph. He only came from Mary and God. But his half-brothers did not believe in him. Mary at one time thought he was out of his mind. But actually, after the cross and his death and his resurrection, one of the books of your Bible was written by this guy named James who was one of Jesus' brothers. And if you go back and look at the beginning of James, you know what he says about this brother he used to make fun of? He said, I'm his servant. I'm his slave. All right, now, Paul says we used to see him only as just a man, but now we see who he really is because of the Spirit. All right? He also said we don't regard each other that way anymore. Now, this is important for us. We touched on it a little bit last week. Uh, I'm, where'd, she, where'd Teresa go? I just saw her come in. Teresa, where are you? There you are. I'm so glad you showed up right at this point because last week you brought up a wonderful good point. We talked about how God's going to finish his work in us, right? And we need to keep in mind that the same God that's going to get us where he wants us to be is going to get each other and we don't need to make it our goal to get everybody fixed. This is what Paul's saying. We don't regard anybody now according to the flesh. As we deal with each other, we need to really understand, does this person know the Lord? If so, guess who's going to finish what he started with them? The author and the finisher of my faith lives within them too. He'll finish what he started there. And we make it a little bit easier on each other as we encourage each other and point each other back to the Lord. we got to stop seeing ourselves as a judge. I can't believe they acted this way. They call themselves a Christian. All this kinds of stuff. Stop regarding people according to the flesh. Stop looking at the flesh and think about the spirit. When our kids were little, 
and they acted certain ways, the one of the things that got you through was you realized they won't stay this age forever. How many times have you thought to yourself, one day we'll be out of diapers. One day, hopefully, they won't just turn into rubber and fall on the floor whenever they don't get what they want. You kept going. Why? Because you knew this is just a phase. This is just a period of their life. They're going to move on to maturity. We need to encourage each other in that same way. All right. But then look at what he says in verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, the old is what? It's gone. The new has come. Now, I got to be honest with you, folks. For years, I used to, as a preacher, use this illustration about the white dog and the black dog. And they're both equal breed, equal size and weight, and they fight. Which one's going to win? And I always said, the one I feed the most. But you know how bad of an illustration that is? It doesn't line up with Scripture. Because doesn't Jesus say, greater is he who lives in me than he who is in the world? Do you really honestly think it's an equal fight between my spirit and my flesh? Yes, I choose whom going to have control. But it's not whichever one I feed the most is going to win. No, it's if I use what is already there and live in the spirit and walk in the spirit, as Paul says in Galatians 5.16. So I say walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So folks, you have received a circumcision when you were saved where God took your flesh and he cast it off. Amen. Oh, there's more evidence from scripture. Go to Romans chapter 6. Look at verses 1 through 14. Romans chapter 6 verses 1 through 14. Paul's just said that uh as the law, look at verse 20 of Romans chapter 5, the, the law came in to increase the trespass. And that's an interesting thing. I've asked churches this question as I travel around and teach on these kinds of things. I'll say, does God want sinners to sin more or sin less? And they say, oh, sin less. And I say, no, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says actually God wants sinners to sin more so they'll realize they're sinners. Look at verse 20 of Romans chapter 5. The law was added, so what would happen? So that the trespass would what? The law was added so that when people would sin more. What causes our flesh to act up? The law. Anybody ever tell you you can't do something? Now what do you want to do? Someone say to you, I dare you to step over this line, or you can't step off this. You know, I could be walking down the sidewalk, never think about stepping on someone's lawn unless they have a sign that says, don't step on my lawn. Now I want to do it, just to prove I can. The law was added so that the trespass would increase. Why? Because God wants you to realize that you have a problem and you need to Savior. But then he goes on, but it doesn't matter how much you sin, God's grace increased all the more. So now in chapter 6, he deals with the people who say, oh, cool. What then shall we say? Are we to continue to sin that we may get more grace? If, if God's grace supersedes any amount of sin, do I just sin more so I can get more grace? Listen to what Paul says. By no means... How can we who died to sin still live in it? Don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? This doesn't mean your water baptism. Your water baptism was just a picture of what really happened. When you trusted Christ, you were put into Jesus. The word baptizo means to dip or to dunk under. And actually it's a picture of dyeing cloth where they would take some cloth and they would put it in a, in a vat of water that had a dye in it. And when you put the cloth into the dye water, the cloth came out the color of the dye water. 
We were baptized, put into Christ. Remember last week when I showed you the envelopes? Jesus said, on that day you're going to realize that I'm in you and you're in me and I'm in the Father. Folks, when you were saved, you were baptized at that moment. You've been put into Christ. Our water baptism is just an outward sign of the inward reality. Thank God he doesn't make us go get circumcised. Of course, in case you're curious, that happened to me when I was a baby. But at the same time, that's not the issue. Our covenant sign, the Bible says, is to happen after salvation as an evidence of what has happened in our hearts. By the way, real quick, for those that have been taught that infant baptism is okay, when did the people in the Old Testament receive the covenant sign? After they had entered into the family of Israel, either being born in Israel, as we saw, or as slaves that had been purchased and brought into the family. When they became a part of the family of Israel, that's when they received the covenant sign. Now, for years, people have said, well, they circumcised babies, therefore you're supposed to baptize babies. No. Listen, the circumcision happened when they entered into the family. If our baptism is our covenant sign in the New Testament, you are to be circumcised, if you will, or use your outward sign or receive your outward sign, which is your baptism, after they enter into the family. If someone's born in your house and you're a Christian, are they automatically a Christian? No. no. Now, I got no problem with you dedicating a child to the Lord and dedicating to the Lord and saying, Lord, this is your child and it's a gift from you and we hand them back to you. I got no problem. I love baby dedications. But your baptism, if you say, well, I was baptized as a baby, was that after you entered into the family of faith or before? The covenant sign of your baptism is to happen after you've entered into the family. Do you understand? All right, now, listen to what he says. By no means, verse 2, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Jesus was raised from the dead or Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. And we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let sin not reign in your mortal body so that you omit to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin or your body parts to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members or your body parts to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will not have dominion over you since you're no longer under law, but under grace. Now, some of you say, Jim, that sounds great and wonderful. And I love this whole idea of the fact that I'm a new creation and the old me's gone and my sin has no, my flesh has no power over me anymore. But I'm still so tempted Anybody else here tempted? I mean, seriously, anybody else here still tempted to sin? Let me ask you another question. Was there somebody else pretty famous who was also tempted to sin? Jesus Christ. He was tempted in every way. I, I can honestly tell you, I'm tempted in a lot of ways. I'm not tempted in every way. There's some things that have no attraction for me at all. The Bible says he was tempted in every way, 
yet without sin. So just because you have been set free from your flesh doesn't mean your flesh isn't going to act up. Jesus lived in a human body that was under the curse. He never yielded to it. He never yielded to it. And he had victory over it. Guess what? The same one who lives in you will give you victory over your sin, struggle, and your temptation. What have you got to do? You've got to understand really what's going on here. Sin shall no longer have power over you. Now, I love what you said to me earlier today, Jim, when you and I were talking on the phone. All that stuff about how beautiful I am and all that stuff. But the, uh, he said this. He said, we love to spout off about how we believe the Bible. Don't we? We're people of the book. We believe the Word of God. There's all these people out there who don't believe the Word of God or don't believe it's in there. And they don't believe. Do you believe the Word of God? then you can say no to sin. Now, please don't hear me say that you're going to enter into sinless perfection. But you're going to start... Well, let me put it to you this way. If you're in Christ, you're not going to be sinless. But you will sin less. There will be a transformation. There will be a transformation. And if that transformation has not occurred and you have no ability to say no to sin... You might want to check whether or not he who has already <coughs> defeated the flesh really lives in you. And don't say, well, I was baptized. So, has he come to live inside of you? Well, how do you know? We've already talked about that. Romans 8, chapter 15. Sorry, chapter 8, verse 15. His spirit will testify with your spirit that you're his child. You will know that you have been born again. He will take care of that. You don't have to take some course to find out whether or not you're really saved. The Bible says if you're in him, you'll know it. And if you're not, he'll show you. All right? Let me show you one more passage. Go to Romans chapter 8. Look at verse 9 through 11. Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 11. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. And anyone who doesn't have the Holy Spirit of Christ doesn't belong to him. But... If Christ is in you, although your body is dead because of sin and it's still deteriorating because it's still under the curse, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of, of, is life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Now, I knew as I was putting this together that as much as we want to receive this, there's still going to be a problem. For us to really let this sink in. You know how I know? Because this is something that's been really hard for me to grasp. And I've been walking with the Lord for 40 years. I've been preaching his word for 30. And it's still hard for it to sink into my head and in my heart that this is really true. So as I was wrestling with that, God said, well, show them this. I want to show you from the Old Testament promises of God. Remember how we've already looked at one of the mysteries that the nation of Israel has received a hardening in part until what? The full number of the Gentiles, the church age is over, full number of the Gentiles has come in, and then all Israel that's left at the end of the tribulation will be saved. The Bible's real clear on that. Let me show you some promises that God made to the nation of Israel back in the day about the days to come when he saves the nation of Israel at the end of the tribulation. Maybe when you see what the word says God's going to do for them, you'll finally believe that he's already done it for us. All right. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 1 through 6. Listen to the wording of what God promised the nation of Israel in the last of the last days. 
right before the millennial kingdom and during the millennial kingdom. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, listen to verses 1 through 6. God speaking through Moses said, And when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you. Remember, the Bible said he's going to scatter them to all the nations, and then in the last days he'll bring them back. And you return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice in all that I command you today, with all your heart and with all your soul. Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you, and he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will take you, and the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it. And he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. And the Lord your God, listen, will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. Who's going to do this to them? God says, I'm going to circumcise your heart and the hearts of your children so that you will love me with everything you have and you will follow me. Oh, by the way, we've already received that. We just don't believe it. We just don't believe it. We're still focusing on the flesh. How many for, for years I was told to try to stop sinning? That's what I was taught. I was taught as I was raised in my family and in churches that I grew up in. You sinned. You need to go ask for forgiveness and you need to go get that right. And you better stop doing that. Man, I tried. And I knew I was saved. But I kept trying to stop and I couldn't stop. Oh, I might do good for a week or a day. And I'd say, Lord, I can't believe I did it again. Would you please forgive me? I never really was taught the truth. No one ever showed me that it's already been done. My flesh has been removed. I'm a new creation. It's just now a matter of believing it and saying, Lord, you will give me the victory. I'm going to say no to this sin, believing you're going to let me have the victory. I'm not going to offer myself. I'm not going to put myself in those situations. I have your power within me, and you already said no to this flesh. I can't, but you will. Amen. I love how Vance Havner put it. He said, there's only one Christian life that has ever been lived. Only one Christian life has ever been lived, but Jesus wants to live it again in you and me. Oh, listen to another promise to the nation of Israel. Go to Jeremiah 31. It gets better and better and better. Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. Maybe by looking at what God has promised to them, we'll finally believe it. You ever had that problem? I do. I can preach to you, look you in the eye, and tell you what the Word of God says, and believe it for you, but still struggle to receive it for me. You ever had anybody else have that problem? Well, maybe it'll help us if we see what God said to them. Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I'll forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. By the way, you say, Jim, well, if this is true for us now, why do we need preachers and teachers and pastors? 
Here's why. Because if we who are preachers and teachers and pastors and equippers of the saints are actually doing what we're supposed to do in time, something's going to start to happen where everybody in the room starts to become not a teacher with a capital T. But the Bible actually says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 when Paul's talking to the church there about orderliness and worship. He said if somebody is prophesying or someone's up here preaching or teaching the word and someone else has a word of prophecy. We've turned it into, oh, I just got a word from the Lord. I got a word of prophecy here. No, that's not what he's talking about. If someone's teaching and preaching, how many times, I've seen it in Jeff two or three times and he's biting his tongue down here in the front row. How many times as I've been saying stuff, have you wanted to go, ooh, and this. That's what the microphone's here for, by the way. I know you say, we don't want to stop him, but please speak up because this truth is happening amongst us now. Yes, there's a need for the preachers and the teachers in that sense, but ultimately, you have Christ within you, and Christ in you gives you insight and wisdom. And like happened last week that you brought up a point, and you were sitting back there, and you brought up another aspect. They brought into the study last week another whole aspect that I hadn't even thought about, and we were blessed because we really don't need as much the teaching as we thought we do. We need the teacher. He's already in us. I want to challenge you as we continue to grow, even if we may move venues to the bigger place, we're still going to set it up. The microphones can record what's going on. And if God's got something in your head and your heart, stick your hand up. Because the Bible says that if the one who's prophesying is to stop and let the other person share his word of prophecy, and then the one who was prophesying can continue. Listen to what that passage says. For the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. In other words, don't let anybody lie to you and say, well, I couldn't help it. I was just out of control. I was in the spirit. I couldn't even stop what came out of my mouth. No, I'm in the spirit as I'm preaching to you right now. And I'm under the control of the Holy Spirit. But I'm also able to know when he says, Jeff needs to speak or Chris needs to speak or Mark. You see what I'm saying? And I can stop. I can pick right back up. Don't turn this Christianity thing into a... Spectator sport. Go for it. Paul said, we are all able-bodied ministers of the word. Yes. Yep. We have different roles and different giftings to do it, but we are all able to be used of God. And we've turned Christianity into the stage and the spotlight. And that man up there who's so gifted. No. Hopefully, as we continue to this, have this Bible study grow. And by the way, if anybody says, is Jim starting a church? No, 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 no. <laughs> This is too good for us to try to organize this mess. <laughs> Go to Ezekiel. Go to Ezekiel. Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36, verses 22 through 27. Almost got the lead to singing this one. <laughs> Ezekiel 36, 22 through 27. Maybe you'll believe it if you'll see what God promised them. The same thing he's given us. Remember, the Bible says he saved the Gentiles to make Israel jealous. So what he's promised for them, we already have. Ezekiel 36, verses 20 through 27. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it's not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I'll vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. 
I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Isn't that cool? God says, I'm going to do it. You just have to receive it. Oh, you don't understand this now, but buddy, one day you're going to understand because I'm going to do a work in your heart and you're just going to want to follow me. Let me give you one more. Romans chapter 11. Verses 25 through 32. Romans chapter 11, verses 25 through 32. Paul says, lest you be wise in your own sight, talking to the Gentile church there in Rome. Lest you be wise in your own sight. I don't want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Now, as regards the gospel, they're enemies for your sake. But as regards election... They are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Did you see that? If you've received his spirit, don't think you can lose it. You can't. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of the Jews' disobedience, so they too have now become disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Folks, do you believe that God's going to do this to the nation of Israel at the end of the tribulation where he's going to just save them and he's going to move in their hearts, cause them to follow him? He's just going to put it in them and they're just going to obey him? Do you believe it? That same promise has already been given to us who are in the church. And God's using this church age to make Israel jealous. The problem is the church today is still trying to finish what God's already begun in our own strength. We've taught rededication. I'm going to do better. We tell people to walk the aisle and rededicate themselves to the Lord. I say to you, stop rededicating your flesh and just begin to believe that God has already done this. You say, Jim, I can see it clearly there. But where in the Bible does it say that for us in the church, it will be already done? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Go to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 2. Whenever anybody's asked me to sign the book that I wrote, this is the verse that I put in every single one. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 2. Sorry, I say two. Verse five. It is five that I write in the book, I promise. Second Thessalonians chapter three, verse five. Listen, may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Do you see it? May God cause you to love, you, love him more. And may God cause you to be more patient. Oh, you say that's just one. Well, go back to First Thessalonians chapter five. First Thessalonians chapter five. It cannot get any more clear than this. Look at verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you 
completely. And may your whole body, spirit and soul be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Period. Now, that doesn't mean that tomorrow you're going to embark on this wonderful. I love God. I don't know where it came from, but I just love him today. But I can promise you, if you begin to believe this truth, that he who began this good work will finish it. If you believe that he's the author and the perfecter of your faith, that he's the one who has started it, he will sanctify you. He's in the process of making you, conforming you into his image. You know what? I may get frustrated with you sometimes when you act in the flesh. You might get a little disappointed in me when you see me act in the flesh. But what you need to do in those times is say, this is just a phase. One day Jim will get out of his diapers. <laughs> what did Paul say in Galatians chapter 4 verse 19? He said, I feel like I'm in the pains of childbirth again until Christ is formed in you. Did you catch it? It's a process. But let's be honest. Those of you that have walked with him for a few years and maybe many more. Can you honestly look back and say he's doing it? He's doing it. I'm not who I was. It may be slow, but it's his work and he has a reason. And I just want you to rest in the fact that if you are in Christ, you've already received a circumcision where he has cut your flesh away. Now, next week, we're going to take a look at. A few more of these passages. I think I have time because we started a little bit late. I think I have time for one more. Go back to Colossians chapter 2. It says that God, because we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he made us alive together with Christ. Do you see it here? All right. Let's read verse 12. Having been buried with him and baptized, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, meaning with Jesus, having forgiven all our trespasses. We're going to come back to that, having forgiven all our trespasses next week. Let me just show you what, not only has he cut away your flesh, you have already been made alive at this time because of Christ in you. Everything that's true of Jesus right now, listen, everything that's true of Jesus right now is true of you. Can Jesus die anymore? Can you? Well, Jim, my physical body. Yeah, but listen to what Jesus told Martha. He said, whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And whoever lives and believes in me, even though he die, yet shall he live. Do you believe this? First of all, you'd say, wait a minute, Jesus, you just contradicted yourself. He said, no, I didn't. I was talking about two different kinds of death. Oh, you may die physically, but if you're in me, even though your body dies, you will never die. You'll pass from death to life. Actually, that's already occurred spiritually in us. Some of you heard me use this illustration before, and I think it's a wonderful picture. Max Lucado brought it out in a book he wrote years ago. If you were to talk to a baby in the womb, and that baby's about to pass from the world that it's known for nine months into this world, and you're able to communicate to that baby, you would say to the baby, I know you're comfortable. 
I know you think this is all there is, but there is a world that you're about to move into that is bigger and more amazing than you ever would believe. And if you tried to describe the world to come to this baby in the womb, that baby would say to you, I'm good. Uh, sounds kind of fanciful. I'm fed. I'm warm. Yeah, it's not real comfortable at times, but it's known. When that baby passes through the birth canal into this world, does it die? It continues living. It just learns to breathe in a whole new way. The Bible makes very, very clear for all of us who are in Christ. When this body finally stops pumping or functioning or whatever. The person who's the real person. The spirit, the soul, the real them. Doesn't experience death. They just pass from this life to the next, to the bigger and more beautiful, unbelievably describable place. We just learn to breathe in a whole new way. I have no fear of death. I fly on a lot of airplanes and everybody's always sitting in there crossing themselves and doing all this stuff. And I really, I'm a joker. And a lot of times I thought to say to the person next to me, man, I hope this goes down. But then they might say, hey, stewardess, take this guy off the plane. <laughs> I mean, because of the, all these 9-11 rules, I, this literally happened. My wife and I and our kids were all going to fly on this one trip up to New England. And we were all excited. This is the first time we had flown as a family, and the kids were all little. And we even said, the joke was, this is great. Even if the plane crashes, we're all going to go to heaven together. And that was how we had been talking about the whole trip. And my kids know the Lord, and they love the Lord. And so we had jokingly said, Man, this plane's going to crash, and we're all going to heaven together. Isn't that awesome? We, we have this running joke that whenever we're in a car, and, and, and it looks like we're about to get in an accident, everybody yells, unbuckle. All right? I'm just, <laughs> seriously, we, I'm not lying to you. We do. Our kids will yell, unbuckle, because, hey, if we're going to crash, let's all go with the Lord. So we get to the airport that day. This is after 9-11. And we get on this Southwest airline, and it is brand spanking new. Like, we might have been the second people ever to fly on this plane. And we get buckled in. I turned to Becky, and I said in my loud voice, unfortunately, this is a beautiful plane. Too bad it has to go down. <laughs> Becky went, shut up! <laughs> I was like, oh, that probably wouldn't. People around us probably didn't think it was just as funny as I meant it. So, <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Real quick, look at what it says. Ephesians chapter 2. They sound, I did sound like a terrorist. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the pr prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him. And seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You have been made alive already. Two other ones real quick. Colossians. Go right back to Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Colossians 1, verses 13 and 14. 
He, Jesus, delivered, delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, or God's done this, to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Look at that. He's already delivered us from the domain of darkness and has transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. One last passage, and we'll close with this. John chapter 5, John chapter 5, verses 21 through 24. We've already referenced this, but I want you to see what Jesus said here in John 5, 21 through 24. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears My word and believes Him who sent Me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Amen. Those of you who love to claim that you believe the Bible, believe the Bible. Let's pray. Father, we are wrestling with the same problem that the church has had to wrestle with from the beginning. There have been those that have crept in unawares. And they've taught things that don't line up with the truth of your word. And many of us, because it appeals to our flesh, because our flesh wants credit. We want some glory because of how we're able to accomplish things in our energy and our strength. Because of this, Lord, we've fallen prey to some teaching that isn't true. And, and this book of Colossians is going to make it even more clear in the days and weeks to come as we really go on into how our trying to do things in our own strength have no ability to control our flesh. But your word has shown us tonight that you've already taken care of our flesh. It's been defeated. You cut it off. You removed it. Even though our spiritual being is new and alive and with you and all the promises that you, uh, that you have for us are, are yes in Jesus, we still live in these bodies and we've been taught to focus on the flesh and not on the truth of who you are, who we are in you. And so, Lord, tonight, take us to a deeper understanding of this truth. Father, I think about how Paul wrote in the book of Galatians, after having begun in the spirit, are you now trying to perfect yourself in the flesh? Who's bewitched you? Who's cut in on you? Father, take our eyes off of those who have taught us the wrong thing and may just put our eyes on you and the truth of your word. And Father, may we begin, I know we will, may we begin to realize that this change has been occurring and will continue to occur as you finish what you start. Your word shows us this is going to be a process, but we're to believe it. Because the one who's promised it is faithful and you will do it. You've done it and we're going to experience it each more, a little bit more each day until you come to take us home. Father, may we believe it for ourselves just as much as we believe it for the person next to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.